Welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Today, in episode number 52, I spoke with Dr. Howard J. Lux, a widely respected orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist who is an expert in shoulder, knee, and other sports injuries. Among many other accolades, Dr. Lux has been named as one of the top sports medicine physicians in the United States by U.S. News and World Report. Dr. Lux is also a master's athlete who knows how hard it can be and how important it is to remain athletic for the pleasures it brings to life, as well as for the many health and longevity benefits that cannot be obtained in any other way. In our discussion today, we cover a set of topics that are of interest to all older endurance athletes, including how do I interpret that joint pain that appeared out of nowhere and what should I do? When should I get an MRI? How to avoid training mistakes behind overuse injuries that can take away our athletic fun? Arthritis. Am I causing arthritis by exercising a lot? Should I rest my joints to let them heal? Surgery versus no surgery. What's this top orthopedic surgeon's surprising perspective on the role of surgery? So here it is. If you are dealing with chronic pain, thinking about surgery, worried about arthritis, or just wanting to understand your body a little better, listen into this conversation. You will learn a ton. Let's talk to Dr. Lux. Dr. Howard Lux, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Thanks for helping us out. Thanks, Joe. It's a pleasure to be with you today. I'm really uh, delighted to have you on. I've been following you on Twitter for some time and gobbling up the little pearls of wisdom that you dole out there and sort of backtrailed back into finding a podcast that uh, you do regularly, which is just full of great information. I makes me wish I had a whole bunch more of your time, but I'm glad to have the little bit of time that we have. And I'll make a list here of the things that I'd love to cover. It's probably way too much, but if we could just touch along the top of it, just to give some of these great pearls that you've got. And it's not just your tremendous experience. You also just have a mind for what's real, what's important. You're sort of counter bullshit, I think. And, and I don't know if, <laughs> did were you born like that or did, did did that come uh, the hard way? That came with age. <laughs> okay, okay. That came with experience. I can believe that. Well, good. Well, before we jump in, though, would you just do a little bit here on you know your background? What do you do for a living? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Howard Lux. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, I'm out of New York. Finished my training uh, down in New York City. I uh, was the chief of sports medicine up in Westchester County for, for 20 something years. And now I'm out on my own. Oh. I've been a lifelong athlete, uh, tennis, baseball, basketball, running, cycling, swimming uh, before I lost the shoulder, lost function, not the shoulder. Yeah. And, uh, the deeper I got into my orthopedic career, the more I started to notice that a lot of athletes were being misled or misled themselves by what they were reading. And I know we're going to touch on that topic. And I made it my goal to try and sort of have people think on a very basic and simple level, right? Why we don't need to take this supplement or that supplement. We don't need to do eight minutes of, you know, HIT and get a heart rate of 180 if our goal is mm -hmm. to live longer. Right. And, you know, I've enjoyed keeping runners out on the trails longer. I love running with all the groups that I run with, same with the cyclists. And so I'm just trying to share that information. I'm really glad that you found what I said on Twitter useful. Awesome. Well, just as a reminder to you and the audience, the Wise Athlete Podcast is for the older athlete. And my goal, and so therefore what I try to help the people who follow along is 
with information that helps them to have a high level, uh, you know, whatever their goal level of performance is today, but also to retain that athletic capability for a long time. So longevity, health span, yep. not taking a bus tour of Italy at 80, <laughs> but a bike tour. <laughs> and I think that that's a, a worthy goal. And yet at the same time, I, I know that it's true that uh, the older I get, the more easily I seem to get injured and the longer it takes to recover. And uh, it has long been, but still continues to be my biggest fear that I'm going to have some serious injury and that's going to be the end. Uh, I know lots of guys who are getting these serious things, you know, knee replacements and hip replacements and people with serious back pain. And it just worries at me that, that, that that's going to be me too. And so I'm tickled to have you here. I, I'm, I'm confident that you're going to provide us, <laughs> provide me some clarity on some things that are going to help me stay in the game. Beautiful. So uh, here's my list and let's hit on them on these as, as we can. And of course, you know more than me. And so please talk about anything that you think we should know. But the things that I'm really curious about are when I have a pain that just showed up one morning, how do we know? Is that, is that like a, is that really an injury? If the pain feels like this, it's nothing. If it feels like that, we go to the doctor. If there's some tips you can give us on what is an injury, how do I know if it's a bad one or not, that would be really helpful. Number two would be then, of course, injuries come from all kinds of sources. And it, but just for the sake of time, we'll skip the vast range of accidents that you've seen injuries from. And, and let's talk about the training mistakes, sort of the self-induced injuries that are the root cause of a lot of injuries to older athletes, I am sure. I'd also like to touch on the A word, arthritis. That's one of my scary words. Uh, I'd like to know more about that. And am I making myself have arthritis by being physically active, et cetera? I then like to, would like to get your take on, you know, when is surgery a good thing? You know, what is the role of surgery? Does surgery make me get back on my bike faster? Uh, how long do things take to heal anyway? And then the last thing just would be, what's real? I mean, we hear all about all kinds of things, stem cells and microfractures and what really works and, and what doesn't. Okay. How does that sound? This sounds perfect. Well, awesome. Sounds like a full podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. I, I'm not sure if that's the right order, but if if that's a good enough order, then let's start with injuries. H sure. How do we know when we're injured? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, and, you know, when I'm in the office with people and you and I appear to be of similar age, we're similar activities and we wake up one morning with some discomfort. We didn't injure ourselves right? Things hurt. You know, we wake up every morning, we look at ourselves in the mirror, we accept that we need glasses to see ourselves better. We accept that our hair is gray. We have some more wrinkles. Our hair is thinning. But somehow we anticipate that our, the joint, our joints, tendons, and muscles are the same as they were when we were 16. We expect them to be perfect. And they're not. They are aging too. And if we treat them right, they're going to age perfectly well, just like the rest of our hair that still resides on top of our head. Yeah. Um, but 
we're going to have, look, you know, I don't know how much you run. I tend to run 20 to 30 miles a week. I don't think I have a morning that I don't wake up with something hurts. Yeah. Um, the pains that you have to worry about typically are the pains that get worse day to day. Pains that occur from a run or from a ride, you know, a hard push or a harder run or hill repeats, yeah. weighted runs, weighted hill repeats, etc. But yeah. in general, our Achilles tendons, our feet, our patella tendons, our quadriceps, especially the upper hamstrings up towards our butt, those are very sensitive to slight changes in our training slight changes in our cadence, our rhythm, our distance, our pace, etc. And we can get ourselves into trouble a lot if we run too much, uh, too little, uh, try to bounce back too fast. Um, so you know, that's why we're going to dive into training errors. But I want to jump back because most of you who come into my office who are nervous, why do my feet hurt, my, my ankles in the morning, if that pain goes away after you're up you're in you're in and out of the shower and then you get moving these yeah. are typically not worrisome you know these are our joints waking up uh, our we have basic compounds and chemicals inside our joints called interleukins and when we're sedentary the more inflammatory it, interleukins tend to increase in concentration, but once we get moving, the anti-inflammatory interleukins rise. That's why people with arthritis feel better when they're moving too. Ah. So I wouldn't worry about these pains that start up if you get up after eating dinner for an hour and a half or get up from a show or wake up in the morning. But if you have pain that comes on during a run, that makes it difficult. You can't ma maintain your speed, your cadence, your gait is off. That's something that I might need to know about if it holds on for a few days. Uh, so if, if it's making you change the way you move. Correct. Because once we throw off the kinetic chain, we throw off how we run, then we put other joints at risk too. Um, okay. If you can't maintain your pace or cadence and something hurts and you're limping along, that's a sign of, from your body to stop. And there are certain pains we worry about for stress fractures, like right, like pain in your metatarsals, in your feet, on the front of your tibia, groin pain uh, in people who run a lot. Um, so those are the pains that we, quote unquote, worry about if they come on when you're training. And they don't go away. But other than that, most of the tendon pains that we have, we can, if we can maintain a cadence, pace, gait, etc., then we can continue going. And what about like swelling? If if something swells up immediately versus hours later, is that different? Yeah. So immediate swelling following an injury is obviously a sign of acute inflammation, something is going on. Um, but that does mean that you incurred an injury. And those moments are actually rare, right? I mean, how many times have you run with something, you know, came on and started bothering you immediately? Um, those are relatively infrequent. Um, yeah. The, you know, sometimes our joints will swell a little, you know, and they'll get a little cranky. And we'll talk about that when we talk about arthritis. Um, right. But 
yes, if you have an acute injury with swelling, you, you need to rest. And if it persists, come and see me. Okay. But just because it swells at all, that doesn't mean that it's an issue necessarily? It doesn't mean it's catastrophic. No. Um, it just, something that's swollen might be, you know, beyond a typical discomfort associated with training, right? You know, your Achilles tendon can, can swell due to Achilles tendinopathy. Uh, those tend to be very tender nodules. Uh, but in general, most overuse injuries don't swell. Most acute or traumatic injuries do. Okay. So we don't necessarily rest the chronic overtraining injuries as much as we rest the acute traumatic injuries. Oh, I got you. I got you. Okay. Well, should we talk about where these injuries come from? And I, and I guess we're talking about... Uh, training errors. The thing that was hurting a little bit, but I kept going thinking that it would go away and it just got worse. Sure. I'd say 50 or 60% of the people that I see do not have, and when I talk about the people I see, I'm talking about runners, cyclists, tries. They don't recall a single isolated traumatic injury. These are just things that crept up on them. Yeah. Many of the injuries, these overuse injuries that runners, cyclists, and tries will suffer from are training errors. Either we're untrained <laughs> or we wake, wake up one day and said, you know what, I'm tired of running 10 miles a week. I'm going to do 15. Um, our muscles, tendons, and bones don't like surprise parties. Yeah. And they don't like extended sleepovers. So they don't like to see a tremendous amount of stress added on, and they don't like long periods of rest. So if you're up and trained and you're running 25 or 30 miles a week, something sets you back, you get sick, you can't run for two, three weeks, you can't go back and run, run 30 miles a week the next week. If you, you know, we're, we're coming up on New Year's, right? So I'm going to see a lot of people in February because New Year's, uh, I'm going to start running. So they go from the couch <laughs> to a 5K and they do it in two or three weeks. These are training errors. Yeah. So if you're used to running 10-minute miles and you want to speed up and your body isn't used to it, you have to do it in little bits and spurts. If your longest run is four miles and you want to go six, you have to build up slowly to that because our tendons will be able to adjust to it. You will be able to do it, but it's going to take you a month or two to get there. And people who try to right, achieve right. new milestones – too quickly are the ones that get into trouble. You know, it dials back into load management, right? People have to understand the load that they're putting their body through. Um, and they have to consider everything that they're doing. So if you're a runner and all of a sudden you start, you know what, I'm going to start weight training and you go into your basement or gym and you start squatting and deadlifting, etc., you need to account for that load in your running schedule. Yeah. Because it's going to add to the stress on your tendons and bone. Right. And I've understood that the your muscles will adapt much f more quickly than your tendons will. Is that right? Yes. Um, and the, the tendons will adapt and they'll adapt over time. Um, but we just, 
Yeah, especially as we age, we just need to understand, as you alluded to earlier, it's going to take longer than you think. Right. And these things will creep up on you. And sadly, if you incur an overuse injury like hamstring tendinopathy, you know, pain deep in the butt, Achilles tendinopathy, uh, patella tendinopathy, et cetera, these can take up to a year to get rid of. So the best way to treat them is to avoid them. The best way to avoid them is really to monitor what your training loads are. Yeah, and maybe this is just something that's true for everybody, but more true for the older athlete. You know, we hear so much about, oh, don't, you know, overtraining, you know, you got to periodize your schedule. You can't be going for PRs all year long. But, you know, we're talking about people who got professions and they've got lives and they, their training is not consistent enough for overtraining. Their problem is that they fall out of condition and then they try to come back too fast and now they've injured themselves. And that's an injury that they're going to, it's going to take a year to get rid of. And you alluded to, that tendons don't like not doing anything either. So just because you injured yourself doesn't mean, oh, well, I just, I'll come back next year. You've got to find some path to doing less, but not doing nothing, right? Absolutely. And injuries really take a toll on us. I mean, you, you know my story through my own podcast, you know, with my stress fracture. And that thing happened in April or May, 2020. And I didn't start running again until September. And then it was spits and spurts because everything hurt. I was only running a mile or two miles. Um, So I stopped and I was cycling more. So I stayed with the cycling. I tried to get back to the running and I was only doing a mile or two and I hated it. You know, I I don't even want to get dressed for less than five five miles. So uh, it took me uh, close to 10 or 12 months to get back to uh, a decent a decent running program. So they can really set us back. Yeah, you could even see how it could get people out of being athletic or even not exercising anymore. It's oh, just completely. They totally lose it and now they're now they're going to be losing their muscle mass and probably end up with metabolic. Pro- I mean, it's probably shortening their life at that point. Yeah, no, you ha- we have to keep going. Let's, when people talk to me or ask me, how much should I run? How much should I ride? Should I run this pace or that pace? I'd really dial it down to, to very simple goals. You know, what are you optimizing for? For me, the answer is simple. I'm optimizing for longevity. Um, I've been a trail runner for a long time. I can, I love, I love runs with, you know, 4,000 vertical feet. You know, I just love hills, but I'm going to be the guy who's slow jogging it or walking it next to you. Cause I want my heart rate, you know, down at 135. Yeah. I'm going to run past you at the end because you weren't smart in how you managed the run, but I don't care what my time is. Um, because you know, I'm in this to increase my time with my kids um, and my time running. I'm not here to burn myself out. Yeah, I totally hear you on that. Let's talk about arthritis. Sure. I don't know if this is just the boogeyman for me, but I grew up with a fear of a bad joint injury because I was sure I'd then have terrible arthritis 
from it. And, uh, you know, and my, my knees grind and pop and, you know, and I, and I just always wonder, Oh, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know, in general, the sounds that our joints make, the clicking, yeah. etc., is not a mechanical issue. So it's not things that are rubbing together. They tend to be inflammatory. We have lots of little structures in our joints, and sometimes they click or bump into each other, and it's just not an issue. Great. I Yeah, I would not worry about that. Arthritis, you know, a prior traumatic joint injury, such as a meniscus tear, especially if it was operated on, or an ACL tear, those do significantly increase your risk of developing arthritis. Doesn't guarantee it, but it increases the risk a lot. Otherwise, you know, we can't live our lives. (laughs) It's hard to live our lives worried about what may or may not happen, right? Yeah. It's like trying to prove a negative. And the people who I feel sorry for the most are the ones who come in and they tell me about their days running and that they stopped and they stopped because they had some knee pain and they were afraid of making it worse, quote unquote, or they were told they had some arthritis and they were afraid of making it worse. Now, this is really important. Osteoarthritis is a biological process. It is very rarely a mechanical process, meaning that you're running on it, you're cycling, you're swimming, you're walking is not going to make your arthritis worse. As a matter of fact, cartilage likes the cyclical loading associated with running. Ah. Cartilage displays a healthy response to running. So if we MRI your knee before and after a run, we see a metabolic effect in the cartilage. It increases its hydration and thus it's feeding and then it recovers by the next day this is of course normal distance i'm not talking about an ultra and osteoarthritis is not more common in runners osteoarthritis is not worse in runners as a matter of fact they had a study that took an equal number of people with arthritis who ran and with arthritis who were sedentary and they controlled for the severity of the arthritis And those who continued running at a self-selected pace or intensity, they kept their knees longer than the people who were sedentary. So the people who were sedentary ended up getting knee replacements sooner. Osteoarthritis is a biological problem. As I mentioned the interleukins before, there are hundreds of chemicals inside our knee. Those chemicals can be hostile to the health of the cartilage or beneficial to the health of the cartilage. Something happens in the onset of arthritis, it's usually a failure of a repair mechanism where we start to build up the uh, hostile chemicals. Now running, walking, movement help to push those out of the knee joint. It helps to stimulate the healing mechanisms and it helps to stimulate the anti-inflammatory mechanisms inside our joint. So if you are told that you have a little arthritis, the last thing in the world you want to do is stop running. Because one, you're not going to protect, quote unquote, your knees or your hips. Two, humans die of very predictable causes. 
right? We die of metabolic diseases. We die of heart yeah. disease, dementia, stroke, type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, etc. All of those yeah. things that I just mentioned are prevented or alleviated or mediated or moderated by walking, moving, and running. So right. you don't want to throw your health under the bus in an attempt to save your knee when, in fact, you're not saving your knee either. So a diagnosis of arthritis is not a death sentence. And I run with many people with horrible-looking knees, and they're fine. You know, they're not running seven-minute miles, but they're running. And they're running, and they're loving it. Right. So it's really important to stay active. Yeah, let's come back to that horrible-looking knees. I assume you mean like MRIs. X-rays. Yeah, you know, I just need an X-ray to diagnose severe arthritis. Oh, okay. But let's come back because I sure I wanted to summarize that because I think that that was important. The problem with cartilage, as I've always understood, is that it doesn't have very good blood flow, so it doesn't get nutrients the way that muscle would get nutrients. So a muscle is going to heal up in 24 hours from the damage that maybe you caused by exercising that day, but the cartilage doesn't get the same kind of blood flow, and so it it responds to stimulus more slowly, and it I would assume that it also is slower to heal from damage. But you were saying that the movement, the pulsing, the cyclic stress, I think is what you said, is helping with the fluids moving in and out. Is that right? Yeah. So you're, you're correct. So cartilage does not have a blood supply. It derives its inside your joint, you have a little fluid. Uh, it's like the oil in your motor. Uh, we have yeah. enough fluid, you know, to lubricate. And in that fluid is the oxygen and nutrients that our cartilage needs. So when you load the joint, that fluid is pushed into the cartilage. So that helps to nourish the cartilage. And the cartilage has a response to that impact loading. Got it. Okay. And so that makes it similar to what I've heard about like bone health where it's the weight-bearing stress is what the bone is looking for. There's, some, there's something like that for the cartilage as well. So does that make cycling, as an example, less good for the cartilage than walking <laughs> or running? So uh, the answer is we don't know. Um, okay. the, the movement is good because you're still putting a lot of force or pressure across that knee. Oh, sure. We don't study uh, cartilage responses in cyclists, or swimmers, etc., as much as we study it in runners. So we just don't know. Okay. But movement is good. And resting, total rest is bad. Right. And total rest, that's a great point. Total rest, bed rest, couch rest, is almost never necessary. Almost never necessary, unless we're nursing a stress fracture or a heart attack, but, you know, something serious. If you have an injury, make sure you very clearly discuss this with your doctor. One, do I need to rest? Because for many things, you don't. Um, and you can run if it doesn't hurt or if it hurts just a little, etc. Then you ask, what is the downside if I don't rest, right? Where can this go? 
what can happen? Am I just going to experience a little more pain or could I harm myself? Yeah. And then find out, you know, how long, if you do need to rest, how long it is. Because you will detrain, you will decondition in two weeks. You're going to set yourself back uh, quite a bit. Um, and so I really try to find some way to keep most of my athletes continuing to train in some way, shape, shape or form. Got it. Got it. People ought to look for that and ask their doctors, if they're seeing a doctor, get clearance from the doctor for some sort of way to keep moving. Absolute rest is very, very rarely necessary. Well, you know, my personal experience over the years trying to make my pains go away, I never found that resting anything ever helped. But going out on a walk or or some sort of cross training always did seem to help. So it all it all sort of matches up with my own personal experience for whatever that's worth, <laughs> and my experience too. All right, I'm not sure quite how to talk about this, but the next category was sort of this surgery versus not surgery, and and maybe that is a separate discussion, or maybe it's all part and parcel to this question of. When should you get an MRI? Yeah. <laughs> so I imagine you you might want to link to that post that I think that yeah. you're referring to that I just put up. Um, this is an important topic for us as aging athletes. As I mentioned before, we don't think twice about our need for glasses, you know, balding, wrinkles, etc. But most people assume their joints should be normal. Right. Most people assume that if we get an MRI in them, their joints will say normal, or if something shows up, that must be the cause of pain. It's right. just not that simple. If we MRI a typical 50-year-old, so let's take a 50-year-old, male or female, no pain. They just got back from a run. You ask them a favor, go lie in this magnet. They have an 80% chance of having a disc ab abnormality in their spine. Yeah. They have a 75 to 80% chance of something being reported as an abnormality in their knee. They have a 25% chance of there being a quote-unquote tear of a meniscus in the knee. They have a double-digit percentage chance of having a rotator cuff partial tear or full tear. So what we're just starting to learn about is what these normal age-appropriate findings are. So that 50-something just accumulated these, just like we see them externally. And, and let me just interject into that, because I think you mean that those are people without pain, right? No pain. They have zero pain. Yeah. You just put them in a magnet and, and you lie them down. Yeah. So if you, if somebody does have pain and they lay on the magnet and you see three different things that aren't right, you have no idea if one of those is new or none of those is new. Right. And is the cause of the pain. Correct. So that's where I was going to go is MRIs. Okay don't show us pain, 
MRIs show us structures. So now let's just assume this for a second. Assume that you have a meniscus tear because, yeah. you know, you may be six, 60 years old. So there's a 35 you know percent chance that you have a meniscus tear. Your knee yeah. starts hurting. You call your doctor. Your doctor says, I'll send you for an MRI. The MRI shows that meniscus tear. We can't date that meniscus tear. We can't tell you it's recent or it's old. It could have been 20 years old. You just right. don't know. Not only that, but there's no way to tell whether that meniscus tear hurts or not. Yeah. And I know so many runners who run with meniscus tears, including the person who you're talking to. Uh -huh. I have been both knees, MRI proven, never had surgery, and usually never have knee pain. Yeah. So imagine you're a 56-year-old, you develop knee pain, and they find this meniscus tear. We don't know if it's old or not. But you're going to remember this. You can't unsee your MRI report. You're going to blame every bit of knee pain that you ever have in the future on this known meniscus tear. You might choose to stop running because now you have a meniscus tear. Again, you're going to throw your, the health benefits of exercise and your whole health under the bus because you think you're saving your knee, and you're not. Right. Worse, you know, we have a high-tech, low-touch healthcare system. So most patients are interrupted in 18 to 20 seconds. They don't get a chance to tell us what's wrong, which is a shame because if we sit and listen to you long enough, you're going to tell us what's wrong. The mm -hmm. words you use, the way you describe it, and your story is going to tell us what your diagnosis is. Our exam can confirm that. There's a lot of research to show that a good exam and a good history by listening to you is often more accurate at determining what the source of pain is than an MRI. Right. Sometimes we'll get an MRI, yes, but oftentimes we don't need it. And the costs associated with these studies can go beyond the economic cost to you. Yeah. It can affect your desire to exercise, your ability to exercise, um, it's going to affect your decision-making, and you might actually choose to have an operation because it might be recommended to you, but in actuality, that's not what the research shows is necessary. Right. So I don't rush into MRI things that I'm not concerned about. If we get MRIs, it's usually for, for surgical planning. So someone who's had pain for three months, two months, whatever, uh, it's getting worse, or it is mechanical, you know, the knee is locking, uh, et cetera. Yeah. But don't be in such a rush to, to get an MRI because it's not going to be normal, and it's going to show something, and that might have a worse effect on you. Yeah, the memory of what you do see is forever. Yes, exactly. So let's talk about how long things take to heal. Because I'll tell you that I, I, I've been lucky. I mean, for all of the stupid things I've done, I, you know, I, I really <laughs> have really avoided these terrible things that I was afraid I would have. But I, I still have had some surgeries uh, related to uh, broken collarbones. And the reason that I would get a surgery on my collarbone to put a pin in was because I wanted to get back on my bike faster. And so as silly as an ex as a reason as that is, 
I'm sure that there's plenty of people like me who are in a rush. Hey, I'm in shape. Uh, you know, I've been working hard. I don't want to be off my game here for, I mean, you just said how quickly I'm going to detrain. I don't like that. I want to get back into it fast. So give me the surgery because I want to be recovered as fast as possible. So how long do things take to heal? Does surgery make things heal faster? <laughs> so it depends on what we're talking about. So right. the example that you use, the clavicle fracture, is interesting. So most clavicle fractures, fractures don't need surgery, and they're going to heal fine without it. Yeah. People who have certain clavicle fractures fixed might heal faster, might get back sooner. So that will be the conversation. That conversation will be tuned to you as an individual and what your wants and desires are. But, you know, the more common things that we're going to face, you know, is knee and shoulder pain, right? And hip pain. And our MRIs have shown meniscus tears or our shoulder MRIs should rotate our cuff tears or fraying a quote-unquote bone spur. You know, research has shown over the years, for decades, that the bone spur in your shoulder is not a cause of pain. It's not a cause of rotator cuff tears. It doesn't rub away your rotator cuff, period. It, you know, it's just not debated. Yet it's still one of the most common pr procedures performed today. Hmm. Research has shown that these degenerative meniscus tears that occur as we age, um, they took people, you know, a few hundred and they operated on them for these tears. And then it took a few hundred and they put them to sleep. They made two incisions in their knee and they woke them up. They didn't do the surgery. So it's called a sham mm -hmm. surgery. Guess mm -hmm. what? Both groups got better. And then uh -huh. they, they did a different study where they put, you know, one group into surgery and one group into physical therapy. Both groups got better. Yeah. So it's become clear that surgery is not necessary for the vast majority of meniscus tears. And you're not going to get back to running sooner if you opt for the surgery than, than if you wait for your pain to subside. Again, don't make the assumption that the pain is due to the meniscus tear, because it might not be. Um, so there are many situations where surgery is necessary, and there's more situations where surgery might make your issue worse, and it's not necessary. So second opinions are really necessary so are third opinions, because an opinion is easy. It's a yes, it's annoying. You have to wait on our phone trees, etc. I, I get that. But when you're thinking about your running longevity, your athletic long longevity, and your ability to run and ride and cycle and walk is concerned, you don't want to rush those decisions. You know, athletes tend to make emotionally laden poor decisions around surgery, thinking that we're going to get back faster or sooner, better, stronger. And it's just not the case. Yeah. Getting surgery on your body is not like replacing a tire on your car, I guess. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I one time had a fellow tell me that this was a back guy and he was saying that people who are about to go in for back surgery, that what he advises people is that they do everything they were going to do 
except the surgery. So everything they were going to do to prepare for the surgery, and that meant slowing down and doing things, being careful, and then after the surgery, doing rehabilitation. If you would just do those things now, but not cut your skin, you'll have at least as good path to healing was was his opinion. So you, you're absolutely correct. I attribute it to a different reason, though. Okay. So I can see you in the office. You're a runner. You have knee pain. Your MRI shows a meniscus tear. I talk to you about physical therapy. Your brain can't adjust to that. You're like, I have a tear. It can't be normal. What is physical therapy going to do? You have to take it out. So we talk, we talk, we talk, we talk, we talk. Maybe you'll go two or three times and you'll say, no, I need an operation. And now you have an operation. Although it wouldn't be me, <laughs> but you might have an <laughs> operation. So you finish the surgery. You don't feel great. Now you go to physical therapy. Now you commit to it. You go two, three days a week. You go for eight or 10 weeks. Now your knee feels great. Not because of the surgery. It's because you committed to the therapy. Yeah. And it was the surgery that made you commit to the therapy. So, you know, the greatest book on back pain was written by John Sarno, right? Um, okay. Great book. And um, you're absolutely correct. You know, you, you, if you commit to the effort to, you know, for physical therapy and for activities, you'll often avoid or eliminate the need for surgery. I mean, I have an atrocious back, right? You know, back pain almost every day. Yet, if I deadlift two days a week, you know, yeah. and squat, I feel great. Yeah. If I don't, my back hurts more. Yeah. Um, every spine person I've ever met or spoken to has said, stop weightlifting. <laughs> why? Why? You know, again, pain, degeneration, arthritis, it's, it's more biological than mechanical. We have yeah. to just eliminate that sort of thought process. Uh, yeah. The more active we stay, the longer that we're going to live. And we haven't spoken at all about it, although I have read your stuff, and so I know that you're a big believer in it. But the, being a healthy person helps with these matters, you know, not being overweight, not having a lot of inflammation in your body, those kinds of things will make you heal better, won't it? Of course. You know, you can't outrun your fork <laughs> and your metabolic health. So your LDL, your insulin levels, your glucose levels, your uric acid levels, all of these things, they're not only floating around your blood, they're getting into your tendons. They're getting into your joints. So we talk about metabolic health all the time. So people with hypercholesterolemia, elevated cholesterol or LDL or hyperuricemia, high uric acid yeah. or hyperinsulinemia, too much insulin, uh, high glucose, so type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetic. Yeah. Um, pain is more common in these people because of a chronic inflammatory state. Yeah. Tendon tears are more common because these crystals and cholesterol, et cetera, will deposit into the tendons. Oh. So where there should be tendon tissue, there are deposits of other cells, of other chemicals and compounds. 
Uh, so the, the tendon is weaker, and so you get the tear more easily. Correct. So our metabolic health affects far more you know, than just our blood vessels and our heart. It affects every tissue in, in your body, and our joints and tendons and muscles are not immune to that. Yeah. It affects how our energy systems work and our muscles too, right? Um, it's the mitochondria that provide energy to the muscles that do what they want to do. Yeah. People with uh, hyperinsulinemia or elevated glucose, type 2 diabetes, etc., they have what's called metabolic inflexibility. So yeah. we know for energy, we can burn fat and glucose, right? There are right. other things that we can burn like lactate and protein, but for the most part, our mitochondria with low demand activities want to burn fat. It's right. more efficient. And as we start to push harder, then we have to burn glucose. But people with metabolic diseases have metabolic inflexibility, so their mitochondria can't burn fat. It can't oxidize fat, so it burns glucose, yeah. which is more inflammatory, has more you know, end products like lactate, uh, ends in exhaustion sooner. Um, it's just a sign yeah. of poor health. So you have, you can't, that's why they're, they're short of breath when they walk up stairs. That's why their legs hurt. Walking a few blocks or going upstairs, it's not because their heart isn't working well. It's because their muscles aren't working well. Hmm. Um, so everything eventually goes back to metabolic health. Right. So all the more reason to keep moving and get healthy. So the last thing I had on my list then was just sort of this, the hypiness that everybody's familiar with. I'm not sure I've ever heard about it from any medical doctor that I've ever spoken to, but I hear about it from people who have paid a lot of money for stem cell injections or microfracture to grow cartilage or, you know, these crazy sounding things. I don't know if you can speak to this stuff. Yeah, there's no cure for arthritis. They're getting there. Um, you can read about WNT inhibitors and some new pathways that they're starting to figure out how to wake up the cartilage repair mechanisms. And there's some, some clinical trials that are going on. This has nothing to do with stem cells, though. We haven't yeah. figured out how to trigger the stem cells. Stem cells work because they receive a chemical signal from the environment that they're injected into. So if you inject a stem cell into muscle or into a heart muscle, there is some regeneration that takes place because there's, ke there's chemicals and cells in that muscle that will tell the stem cell what to do. And that stem cell can change into a heart muscle cell and repopulate an area. We cannot do that with cartilage. You inject stem cells into a knee, they sit there and look at each other. They don't know what to do. There's no chemical signal. And they look at each other and they say, wow, someone just paid $5,000 for us to sit here in your knee and do nothing. <laughs> and eventually they die. Now, things like PRP are different. PRP can diminish the, the inflammation associated with arthritis. They might make an arthritic knee feel better. It is not eliminating your arthritis. It's not growing cartilage. We can't inject cartilage into your knee. We haven't figured out how to grow cartilage. When we figure out how to stimulate these stem cells and what we need to inject with them, 
to trigger them, or when we further investigate these W and T inhibitors and other new small molecules that are coming out, then that will hold promise. But right now, it's a waste of money. Right. And don't forget, if they do, I, were, I read a study the other day investigating this new medication. It listed that 60% of people who took the medication reported a significant side effect, quote unquote, significant side effect. In the placebo arm, which is a sugar pill, it was reported yeah. that 72% of people reported a severe side effect. <laughs> so placebo effects or nocebo effects are very real. So if yeah. you had a friend who did well because of a stem cell injection and they feel better and they're pushing you that way, that's fine. They had a placebo injection, a, a placebo response. Let them yeah. enjoy that. Um, don't waste your money on a placebo response. Right. Or go get a a more affordable sugar pill and <laughs> get the same placebo effect. Well, so that was the end of my list. I wonder if there was anything that you thought, you know, I forgot to ask about that you think is important. No, I think this is, you know, I think your podcast is in a great space, right? Because there's so many trainers out there and so many videos and courses and watches and programs for these young kids that are training to run, you know, a sub two hour marathon yeah. or, you know, a hundred mile race. But there are very few people out there advising us what to do as an aging runner so that we can continue to do it. Yeah. Um, this is a conversation that, that I have 20 times a day in the office. Right. It boils down to being simple advice. Just, you know, understand what your body is capable of. And you want, if you want to push the threshold, just give it time. Talk to people and figure out how to do it properly and appropriately. Because if you push too hard, just a short period of time, you could set yourself back a year. Right. Be very careful about what you listen to, what you subscribe to. Um, and it's really too easy to get lost down rabbit holes of poor information or misinformation about all the things that will wake up and bother us. Most of the pains that we have don't need attention. They just need, you know, a little observation and some walking for a few days, you know, before you return to running. Don't stop moving. You're not going to save your knee or your hip. And the only way to save your life is to keep going. But if you're going to optimize your life for activity, you have to optimize your diet. You have to sleep. <laughs> you know, everyone needs seven to eight hours of sleep. You're not unique. You don't need less. You have to optimize your sleep. You got to get to sleep on time, wake up the same time. You got to get some sun in your face in the morning, reset your uh, circadian rhythm. You have to look at all these aspects of your life if your goal is to continue to live an active one. Right. Well, that's tremendous advice. Thank you very much. Dr. Lux, how should we tell people to find you, your website, your podcast, how to get in touch with you if you wanted them to be able to do that? Sure. So my website is uh, howardluxmd.com, L-U-K-S. 
Um, on there on the top, you'll see long articles. You'll see short notes about health and orthopedic issues. And the podcast is listed there with Paul Kedrowski. Fantastic. And then Twitter, H-J-L-U-K-S. Yes, I know that well. Not hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> right. I will put all of that in the show notes for anybody who wasn't able to take notes off of that and so that people will find you. Dr. Lux, again, thank you, sir. I appreciate you taking some time at the at the end of your long day uh, to uh, help us out. That was really great. Pleasure, Thanks. Joe. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Yeah. You have a great night. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening in to my discussion with Dr. Howard J. Lux. His surprising yet logical take on the role of surgery and the use of MRIs really improved my understanding of a scary topic for the older athlete. If you'd like to know more about Dr. Lux, be sure to check out the show notes at wiseathletes.com. And while you're there, you can sign up to take a free fitness practices assessment, send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That'd be a great help. Thanks again.